yeah, they're not willing to train or they want to hire the person that has all that experience and knowledge and wisdom, but they don't want to pay them. So there's this double-edged sword of, well, I want I want the unicorn, but, you know, I just want to pay, you know, bottom entry-level type prices for that unicorn. Well, no, that's not how it works. Life is going great until one day you're out of work. No matter how it happened, you need to find a new job. Pronto. The problem is, no one ever taught you how to navigate the ever-shifting and ever-changing wasteland of applying for a job in the modern market. I'm Rob Conlon, and here on Recruiting Hell, I help people get jobs. I'm on a mission to help educate 10,000 job seekers on the best ways to get hired in the modern job market. No matter your field, this show is designed to help you level up your job hunting game and escape the many circles of recruiting hell. Step into my studio and let's get you the hell out of here. This episode of Recruiting Hell is generously supported by our friends at CoinList, one of the fastest growing companies in the cryptocurrency space. CoinList is hiring. Visit www.coinlist.co slash jobs to apply. Tell them Rob sent you. Hello and welcome to Recruiting Hell. I'm your host, Rob Conlon. In 2020, we saw a record number of office jobs eliminated due to the pandemic. With office space around the world emptier than ever, and commutes being less jammed with traffic, it's kind of a weird time to be in a white-collar job, like middle management. You might, though, need to find a new opportunity outside of that space in this new job market. Today, we're going to be talking with my good friend, Brad Herta, who is founder of Vision Forward Business Solutions, powered by Focal Point, and co-host of Blue Collar BS, a podcast that brings to light the generational differences for the blue-collar work environment. Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to make the transition from an office job or from school into the trades, what to watch out for, and how the trades operate when it comes to hiring and culture. Brad is actually one of the folks who helped critique Recruiting Hell in its early days, and he gave me some incredible feedback to help refine it over the past two seasons. So not only is he a great friend of the show, but he knows a thing or two about creating content as well as working with blue-collar jobs. Brad, it's great to have you here. Welcome to the show. Uh, welcome, Rob, and thank you so much for the kind words. It's been uh, amazing to watch your growth as you've uh, grown this audience and uh, have supported so many. Um, I know your mission is really important to you, and uh, I know for me personally, I've been able to leverage your show with uh, some students and some college grads and some people in transition to direct them to a resource that's very, very valuable. Well, that's awesome to hear about, Brad, because I, I don't hear those stories. You know, I, I sometimes get things brought to me by people who come out of the woodwork and say, hey, this has really helped. But uh, hearing you use that as a resource, man, that that literally warms my soul. That, like, like deeper than heart, it warms my soul. It's awesome. So thank you. All right. So, Brad, the the little intro that we just did, I, I don't think it quite does justice to what you and, and your show and your expertise are all about. But before we head down that path, we've all heard this complaint, and I want to open with this. We've heard the complaint from hiring managers and business owners who are looking to hire in this time and this environment, and they say, we can't find good people. So A, what's up with that? And B, is it true? Uh, so there is, in our show, it's called BS for a reason, because <laughs> that statement is total BS. 
most owners, when they say they can't find good people, it's because they're trying to do a plug and play and they're not willing to put the effort into invest in people with the right attitude. Uh, they may not have the right skill sets, but they may have the right attitude and you can teach skill, but you can't teach attitude. And they're misguided in what they're looking for because they want to plug and play because they don't want to do the work. They want to hit the easy button and say, hey, so-and-so was here for 15 years before, so I want to hire somebody that's going to be here for that has those same 15 years of experience. Well, good luck finding the unicorns. Gotcha. So basically what you're saying is that hiring managers and perhaps business owners of varying sizes are looking for these candidates that are, again, one in 10,000, one in 100,000, the people who already know what uh, what the tr- what the deal is, what the job is, and they're not willing to train, correct? Yeah, they're not willing to train, or they want to hire the person that has all that experience and knowledge and wisdom, but they don't want to pay them. So there's this double-edged sword of, well, I want I want the unicorn, but you know I just want to pay you know bottom entry level type prices for that unicorn. Well, no, that's not how it works. Gotcha. And I guess my question after that is, is how does that get fixed? How, how does that gap get closed between really skilled people and really garbage wages? Interesting topic because we've been talking about uh, on our show the pay for wisdom versus pay for production aspect of things. Mm. So when you, when you start out, if you're a, a, a Gen Z kid you know, 22 years old, and you decide decide you want to get into the trades, you may not have the wisdom, but you may have a ton of skill and be able to outproduce, you know, Uncle Harold over there that's been climbing the ladder for 40 years. So you should be paid on your production. Uncle Harold has all the wisdom, though, of all those experiences of weather conditions, environmental situations, you know, the sound of the machine, all those types of things. That's what he understands and knows. But his production's gone down because he's gotten older. He's gotten slower. Right. Um, set in the ways. Not necessarily willing to try new things. Not necessarily moving the company forward. But he's gotten paid for his time in seat because he's been there forever. So he keeps getting his raises. Keeps getting his raises. Separating that production value versus wisdom value. I think that's the key. And I wish I had a magic bullet to make that work um, because that's a really tough thing to do. And, and I we're diligently working on trying to figure out what that solution looks like, but it's going to be different for every company and every organization. Cause that wisdom may have significant value over production, depending upon your organization. Interesting. And it's great that you say, you know, that you're working on this too, Brad, because that kind of makes me want to segue into this next question, because you know, we'll talk about the trades a little bit. Cause you, you you consult the people on this, right? Yes. Right. And so we've heard that there are all these industries out there, you know, plumbing and electrical and pipe fitting and steel working and welding and trucking, all these things that are jobs that, that require people and they're experiencing these massive labor shortages right now. The, the question I have is, I think I know part of it, but why, other than the fact that many of my generation were pushed, you know, college, 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 why else are these industries experiencing such a uh, drought of of employees right now do you want me to be brutally honest or do you want me to give you the politically correct answer how about both uh the brutal honesty is the owners got complacent 20 years ago yeah so in two, 20, 2001 
shortly after 9-11, you know, we had a little bit of downturn and the boomers at that time were, they left to go find these service jobs, right? To go to the banks, to go sell insurance, to, to get out of the rat race of the cyclical environment of, of manufacturing and trades in the U.S. They were young enough to come back and they did from 2004 when we went through some significant booms, 2004 through 2012. But now the retirement age, they're at the end of, I don't want to say useful life, but they're at the end of their career. They're they're done. And sure. the business owners didn't do the things that needed to be done to backfill or to bring in younger talent to support their departure. Had you done that 15 years ago to bring in a bunch of 18-year-olds, now those folks would have had 15 years of experience and knowledge and education and and wisdom and tribal knowledge transfer, and you'd be sitting in a much better spot. They didn't, so now all the knowledge is leaving, and now you're trying to bring in that 20-year-old, and you have no time to train, educate, or teach. So therefore, you are going to create a large gap in your organizational structure and knowledge base and potential quality issues and technology, the technology leap that's needed. And, you know, knock on wood, the pandemic has been a blessing to bring the advancement of technology. Oh, that's very true. And I'm sure a lot of businesses that were maybe holding off on technology probably had to be forced to embrace it to get their people back in the in the office, if you will. Uh, that, that's really interesting stuff there. So I, the reason I'm, I'm asking, I want to st- take a step aside for the listeners here, asking Brad a lot about, you know, kind of what the blue collar environment is right now and in the trades, because I want, to, want you to have the background of where this set of industries has been. But it's also, it's something, Brad, that I think is having and being forced to change and being forced into the 21st century rather rapidly now, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the technology aspect, the uh, protocols, safety, uh, OSHA cracking down on the small business owners right now and making it a mantra to go find them to crack down on the safety violations in the smaller organizations in the construction and manufacturing spaces. Um, there's a lot going on and a lot of risk that's there. And it comes down to the training and education piece. And doing the work to create a sustainable business takes effort. You just can't go tell Billy anymore, just go get it done. Um, that 22-year-old kid that's going to come in is going to want to know why do you want me to do this and you can't get all angry and pissed off because he asked the question well why it's not a challenge it's not a i don't like your answer just help me understand my purpose working for you as to what i'm why am i putting these things together in this fashion got it so we're looking at trades and let's pretend brad let's say i lost my job Maybe I was an office manager or something like that or a sales manager or something along the lines. And let's say that I've had a really hard time getting back into that. You know, my, you know, here, here in Milwaukee where you and I are both from, things aren't exactly boom times. We know that. Um, and what's it, let's say I decide to become an electrician rather than getting hired as a, you know, somebody in, in an office or whatever it might be. Where do I start? Like, let's, let's take me. I'm just turned 35. Where do I start if I'm 35 or even if I'm 18 or 19 just out of high school? If I want to go into the trades. So the technical school here, the Waukesha County Technical School, they actually have Mm -hmm. a program for uh, individuals to go through and kind of do a a sampling across multiple trades. Really? So so you might do a, 
six weeks in electrician, six weeks HVAC, um, might do some carpentry, some framing work, different things. They, they broke it up that way so you can get a flavor and feel for what you might like. Um, if you already know what you like to do, then the union halls are a great place to start to recruit and figure out how to get into apprenticeships and, and do those things. Um, people are hiring all over the place all the time. The key becomes the experience piece versus the attitude piece. You look at all the signs through every industrial park. We're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. Well, because of the things you've brought up on your show, that's the way of hiring. So I'm going to put this thing out on ZipRecruiter or Craigslist or wherever, and now it gets filtered. And you don't want people to come into your building anymore because it's COVID and it's this and it's that. You're missing out on opportunity to find the right people along the way. And it's to get into the industry, it's probably more old school than it is new school. Interesting. Um, because it's about who you know and network with and, and be able to make the connections work. Got it. So, okay. So, again, for listeners, hit that little back button, that back 15 button again, uh, because it's a little more old school in the trades than it is new school. And, Brad, you mentioned like a union in a trade hall. I have that actually listed kind of like my follow-ups for this question. And I guess I don't know what a union or trade hall even is <laughs> in this case. Right. So could you explain to us, us all here, myself included, like how does that – like what is it and how does it work when it comes to uh, blue-collar jobs like that? So they'll try to – so any of the union organizations, they'll be part of the union hall, so to speak, and mm-hmm. – you want to go, uh, I'll use the Carpenters Union because it's out on 164 right off the freeway. Beautiful building, et cetera. Sure. You can go in there, make the call and say, hey, I want to become a carpenter. They will find an organization that will um, potentially want to have you work with them, put you through a program. The The union itself may do the training depending upon what union it is and different things. Um, but then you're also paying for that at the end of the day too from a – dues and benefits perspective when you get hired now you're paying your union dues and the value of that etc so there is still that there's still value to the unions from that perspective from a training and education and um, being able to support and collaborate in the industry uh, so that would be the easiest place to go uh, a lot of times though that training, that education, those things become antiquated because it's a seniority-based activity. So the wisdom act, so the wisdom piece of industry versus the production piece of industry becomes a challenge when things, you know, hit a downturn at some point. Right, because the less skilled, if you will, or less experienced labor probably gets gets cut. Correct, because they don't from have a tenure the... perspective. Yeah, because it just goes by seniority. Okay, you know, so so couple you know, pitfalls there. Sounds like right. There are. Um, okay. No different than a non-union place has its pitfalls because now That's you're relying true. 100% on the organization, the owner, or on the job training aspects to get everything that you need to have as well. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to both sides. Got it. Okay. So from what I've gathered from what you told me here just, just a moment ago, Brad, is that a union or a trade hall is basically kind of like a – not only is it the centralized area for the union that you know represents the various trades, but it's almost like a recruiting center a little bit. Yep, uh, albeit more of an old style recruiting center. So a job that. seeker would would probably want to kind of find out where these trade union halls were in their city if they were looking to get into the trades and maybe either stop in or drive by or something along those lines to just see, you know, 
is that something I want to be involved in, correct? Yeah, so I was I was talking with a gentleman that owns an electric company a couple of years mm-hmm. ago, and he was a member of the apprentice program, uh, part of the leadership team to go through that and recruit and educate. He, they had 35 people two years ago in their apprentice program, ranging anywhere from like 18 to 45 years old. Wow. People making that switch. So, And that was a significant number of increase from where it had been in the past. So there is a, there is momentum happening to put people into the industry, into trades. It's just not at the rate that we need to, to support the outgoing retirements. Got it. Since, since the older generation is, is headed out, whether it's because they've put 40 years in, they can't hack it anymore because their bodies are, are not what they were for 30 or 40 years ago. It's all going out, but the influx is not enough to, to replace that. So obviously Correct. that that shortens up the amount of labor in the industry. And that probably, if I remember my economics minor a little bit, that makes prices go up, if I remember. So Correct. for folks considering the trades, what are what are financial opportunities like for them right now? Uh, it's not uncommon to see starting hourly wages for entry level somewhere between you know 18 to 25, depending on what you're doing. Okay. Um, and I, you say depending on what you're doing, but peaks, but like, you, know, uh, you could be in the peak of 55, 60 bucks an hour if you're really good plus overtime with overtime and, and blending it mm-hmm. out. I mean, making a six figure salary is not, not uncommon in many industries right now because there is so much work. Gotcha. And it's, it's work. I mean, a lot of these jobs are fairly physical, correct? They'll, you know, whether it's plumbing or or HVAC or anything like that. These are generally pretty physical jobs. I mean, would that be something to to really consider? Yes, that's why it's a short shelf life for many of these guys, and that's why it slows down at the end of their career. Because if you're a plumber and you've been underneath think- sinks and cabinets all your life reaching up to do this and do that, you know, it's going to take some wear and tear getting up and down all the time. Gotcha. So then my next question, Brad, is so, okay, let's let's pretend – that I go into the trades, I get a little bit of, you know, education. I, I found if I finally become like a, a journeyman, if mm-hmm. you will, which is that that's like the first step besides apprentice, right? You know, apprentice to journeyman. journeyman, master. Master. So let's pretend I, you know, I'm out of being an apprentice. I'm, I'm okay, but I'm not good enough to start my own business just yet. Maybe I've got a couple of years under my belt. I need to get hired by another company. Brad, what does the hiring process look like in the trades and what kind of makes it different from, you know, kind of corporate or maybe desk job kind of hiring? It's a lot of networking, right? If you have the opportunity and you have ambition, visiting different job sites, visiting different locations, you know, finding out what what watering hole people hang out at, um, where are the influencers within different industries, um, who are the people, what are the associations that are important to get to know people in. So for me in the construction building space, you know, I belong to the Metropolitan Builder Association and, you know, that's a great resource for me to connect people that are looking. Um, I had a colleague of mine that was looking for their son to say, hey, he's looking to get into um, either high voltage line work or get into um, pipe fitting work. Who do you know that he could talk to? So I reached out to a couple connections and said, hey, would you like to talk to this kid about these opportunities? I said, absolutely we would. You know, so now he's pursuing his career down that path, but just making that connection to the right people to provide a path forward 
And that is the one thing the industries have done a bad job at is telling people what the path is. How do we do this? Instead of shouting from the mountaintops, we can't find good people and telling everybody they suck that, no, this is the path forward to reach us, to find us, to come and seek us out if you are in need or looking for an opportunity versus stand off and I don't have time for this. We're too busy to talk to you, kid, or we're too busy to talk to you, old man, Uh, you know, whoever it is. um, We don't have time for that right now. Well, you should make time for it because at some point you're going to need those people. Got it. So that's something that a job seeker could hopefully try to to push to their advantage is they know they these 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 companies know they need people. And presenting yourself as a a interested party to be like, hey, I may want to be a pipe fitter or I may want to learn how to weld. I mean, I've I've had that come through my head of, you know what, maybe welding would be would be my thing. I mean, my wife shut it down because I can't just run all over the country or anything like that. But there's uh, there's a lot of good local work for that too, and I think for a lot of folks who maybe traditionally looked to office jobs, you know, there are some real opportunities in the trades uh, for them when it comes to even just local stuff. And, and if you're looking to start over from the beginning a little bit, the trades could probably put you back where you were at least financially rather quickly. I'd say, right? Yeah, there's a great opportunity to. Uh, close that gap, but you got to be willing to put the effort in. And one of the other things that's, I think, been very helpful, we speak of welding as an example, Um, the equipment and the technology and many organizations have put in the processes to to help you be more successful at the start versus just saying, hey, Rob, uh, go weld those two pieces over there. Good luck. Um, All the best to you, right? Many of them, if they're certified or working, you know, a decent shop that has certifications and working the D11 standards or whatever their AWS standards, American Welding Society standards they might be working to, should have processes and procedures in place to allow somebody to be relatively successful if they have the skill and talent to weld because it's a hand-eye coordination thing, even though you wouldn't think so because you're wearing a dark mask. But it, you, you got to see through that lens to understand it yeah. and, and lay down an appropriate bead and make sure you have the things you need to have to be a good weld. And Got it. So the welding side might be a little bit more process driven versus a um, you know, a construction site for a pipe fitter. Yeah, if you're building a, a vertical building, that pipe fitter may not have as many instructions cuz now I got to go read the blueprint and figure this out and architects do things differently from different jobs and someone might notate it this way versus that way. And that's hard to write standard work for. Got it. So there are, there's probably almost a a spectrum of jobs in the blue collar sector that people could seek out that have, I would say, varying levels of structure. Again, if you're a welder, it's called, hey, there's two pieces, lay a nice bead on it, you know, things like that. Versus, you know, you you said with a pipe fitter, you may have to figure out how to plumb this building from looking at these drawings and things like that. So, and oh, by the way, um, where they want to put that, the HVACs in the way or the plumbing's in the way. So now what's my alternate path forward to that? Okay. So again, maybe for a problem solver listener, uh, pipe fitting is for you <laughs> in this case. Interesting. Uh, but it's nice to see that there is that sort of variety of, I don't want to say, I don't want to call it a variety of creativity, but like the structure variability. So there's, there's a lot of opportunities with that, which is very good. Hey listeners, we're going to take a quick break here for some of the business side of running a podcast. 
These sponsors not only believe in this show, but they may have a product, service, or even an open position that can help you end your job hunt. Give them a listen and drop by their websites in thanks for their help in supporting this show and your work search. Hey folks, it's Rob. A lot of times on this show, we talk about the power of networking to find a job. Well, networking is exactly how we wound up partnering with our newest sponsor, CoinList. So you're asking yourself right now, Rob, what is CoinList? Well, CoinList is a San Francisco and New York City-based technology company that provides investors with access to the most cutting-edge investment opportunities in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space. On CoinList, investors can access the best new crypto tokens before they list on other crypto exchanges, and it pays to be early in crypto. Now, right now, they have two special offers for listeners of Recruiting Hell. The first, as a Recruiting Hell listener, you'll earn $10 of Bitcoin when you create an account and trade at least $100 worth of assets on the CoinList trading platform. That's right, you heard me, free Bitcoin. Just visit www.coinlist.co slash recruiting hell to get started. The second is something that could end your time in recruiting hell altogether. CoinList is hiring. You heard me right, CoinList could be your next great opportunity for work. Excited about cryptocurrency? Got a passion for technology? Find CoinList's open positions today at coinlist.co slash jobs. That's coinlist.co slash jobs. And when you do, be sure to tell them Rob sent you. We're back. A big thank you to our sponsors for their offerings, as well as you for considering them. On with the show. So Brad, my next question to you is that we know that the trades are totally just unbelievably dominated by the baby boom generation, uh, very much so here in America and I'm sure in other countries around the world as well. What should job seekers from other generations be on the lookout for in the hiring process from companies that have either been started by these folks and been around a long time and may have that generational difference in understanding what work is all about? Many, I'm not going to say all, but many of the industry in organizations, they're not going to be as structured, might not be as robust from a process perspective, might not be as polished as what you may have been used to in the corporate world might be a little gruff. Uh, the dark, dirty, dangerous aspect of industry, it's changed. It's gotten better. Safety has become far more prevalent in many organizations, so it's not necessarily um, don't go into trades because you might lose a lose a limb. No, there, it, that might happen, but it's not as prevalent or as dangerous as it used to be because tools and equipment and practices have become stronger and better and to be honest um, it's come because of the lack of acceptance of risk who wants to risk their who i'll put this on the millennials and the younger xers right they they why would i go out there step on this building when i can put on a fall harness protection to make that happen why would i not do that why would i take that risk of not being able to go home to see my family anymore. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to do it. And the millennials and the young Xers and even the um, you know, younger millennials, they're not willing to put that risk in play for that. So industries had to change along the way. And OSHA has been able to help facilitate that and many of the other associations as well. So it's going to be different than your corporate job for sure. 
and it's going to be a little bit more lax. It's going to be probably more networking opportunities and finding the right people to get the recommendation and the ear of those that you need to get the ear of. I see. And you, you mentioned a couple interesting things that kind of made me go, whoa, there for a second of the trades. I mean, for the most part, they're very safe jobs, you know, especially as you mentioned, OSHA has been much more cracking the whip on companies and things like that. But there are some things like you need to wear safety gear when you're working as in a high rise or whatever it might be, or you have to be very aware of that. And I would never want uh, any of our listeners to think like, oh man, if you go to the trades, man, you're losing fingers and stuff like that. But that's, you know, there are, you're working with either heavy equipment or equipment that is designed to drill or cut or or join or things like that. And if you enjoy working with your hands, that's awesome. There's inherent risk in that in in your own garage. I mean, if I'm, you know, making a a table for my wife and woodworking in my garage, there's inherent risk to that as well. So, Uh, yes, there is. That saw blade doesn't differentiate between that two by four or that piece of oak versus your finger. Right. right? You still need to pay attention. Exactly. So, again, making sure that, you know, trades are, are such a almost cerebral, I would say, which is a really interesting thing because you have to have that situational awareness that, you know, be on your feet and things like that because, you know, you're in a, in a situation that is a kind of a ballet in motion and, you know, something can, can come by you if you're not paying attention. So I think for folks who who are considering that uh, potential route, if you are in La La Land frequently, uh, maybe that's not for you, but if you like to focus on, you know, what's going on and really have a great uh, kind of appetite for like, hey, being engaged with your job, I think trades might be a fit. Yeah, every day is likely different on a job site. Uh, you can get into a production environment, you know, like GM or Ford Chrysler, you know, automotive place where it is repetitive and it goes forward and you do the same thing every day. But it's a matter of what your purpose is and what your why is. And, and I'm sure you've talked about this before on your show with your listeners is to find your why, find your purpose, find what motivates you and why you want to get up and get out of bed every day versus not. And there's many ways to solve that purpose. And sometimes you've got to look at it through a different lens and say, huh, maybe carpentry is the right path for me to take out my mission and solve my purpose of, of supporting others or building a better community or whatever it might be. I was going to ask you to explain why, and I think you just did good, sir, because that was, I mean, what what better thing than if you like to work with your hands, if you are looking for a new opportunity, yeah, go build people's houses, go build businesses. And and, and when you drive by two years later, you go, I built that place, or I did all the electrical right. in that place. So, so Miller Park, yeah, a.k.a. American Family Field. I know, we all, we're going to call it Miller Park forever, man, at the Poor Am family never be able to shake that. <laughs> right. So back when I was um, at Bucyrus yeah. and investigating a supplier, and the roof and other components were made by a local uh, local fabricator in Oak Creek, and it was amazing to walk through that facility to see the parts that they were making and go into Miller Park and see the roof st- sections. To know that the foul pole. So when I went and walked the floor, the foul poles were being made. Sure. So the foul poles, you think, oh, it's a foul pole. No big deal, right? It's one and a half inch thick, 18 inch, I think it's 18 inch diameter pipe. I have one never been that close to a foul pole. <laughs> right? 
Um, so there it is laying on the ground. I'm like, wow. what is this big? It's like, well, it's a foul pole. I'm like, oh, my goodness. That thing is so robust and potentially over-designed. But when you sit there and go, huh, it's got to stand up in the air. It's got to have the little fence on it. And there's going to be wind. And it's got to take all that load. And how much is below ground versus above ground? And I'm like, okay, that makes sense from a design perspective. Sure. But it was really cool to see on the floor, to see those roof pieces, to see that piece. So whenever I go and drive 94 or go to the go to a game it's like huh i know guys that made this stuff right and maybe if, if you want to kind of have that feeling if you're a job seeker heading into a trade might give you that which is awesome so you mentioned the why for folks in companies it's become so much more important for people over the last two generations i'd say starting with maybe really the millennials again my generation and then also kind of into the the gen z or the zoomers as i call them what about culture in some of these organizations, Brad? What are the things that listeners who are looking to the trades for maybe the answer to their next employment question, what are the things about culture that people should be aware of that might be substantially different from other places of business? Oh, that is a really tough question, Rob, because if I'm trying to compare it to a corporate world or to an office environment, you can still have that family feel and still have that piece of accountability but it's just different because you're usually going to be outside you're usually going to be on the floor you're usually going to be potentially in tight quarters compared to an office who sit at your desk and maybe you meet each other in the break room <laughs> when we used to have break rooms when we were in office buildings right um you know now it's zoom zoom and the opportunity for the culture is it can be all over the map right and you got to find the right culture that fits you. Do you want somebody that's going to let everybody go and a leader that just says, go solve the problem, or do you want a micromanager? Because there's lots of organizations with micromanagers at the top that want to be involved in every decision as well compared to maybe a corporate environment. Um, so you got to just watch out and see what, what you like and what you feel. But know that every day is likely going to be different. And if you like consistency and you like repetitiveness, that might not be the right environment for you because there may not be a lot of structure. There may not be a lot of every day's the same. Okay, again, so kind of hearkening back to that that sort of freedom, if you will, on some some aspects. But it sounds like companies in the trades are as diverse as as people's personalities can be, uh, almost because obviously some of these are are much smaller and they tend to be run by various people. Whether it's you know he might be the president. Or she might be the the head of the the organization, but his or her personality are prevalent throughout the the organization and and control kind of how that that feels. So when folks are interviewing, I'd say they almost need to. I don't want to say interview the CEO because I don't want people asking like I have to go interview the CEO, but like looking at how the CEO or the the president of the firm operates, uh, whether that's online or or if you happen across them might give you some real good intel as to how the actual blue-collar business operates. Would you think so? Yeah, and some of them, if you get to some smaller places, that owner might be swinging the hammer right next to you because they came as the technician. They were the person. They were the guys on the floor that decided, when you made your example earlier, I don't have enough experience to go start my own business. Now they had that experience to go start their own business, so they were accustomed to being in the field doing the work. I see. So now if somebody calls in sick or does something or gets hurt, the owner is now out there doing the work with you. So that sometimes can become a very – that's a different dynamic 
in an office environment where the president isn't necessarily going to come and sit next to you to do accounts payable right. or to, hey, let's let's figure out how to get that spreadsheet to work. Um, no, that's not how that typically works in the white-collar space. Something that is always an interesting experience in any business is onboarding. Like, I just went through it with, with my new job. What does onboarding in the trades look like? What should people expect if they decide that uh, swinging a hammer or turning a wrench or welding is right for them? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Save the best for last, man. (laughs) Wow. Um, I wish you could see my face right now, Rob, uh, because that is a loaded question. And the answer is it's all over the place. The opportunity is going to be, how do I want to phrase this? If the business is actually trying to support their people appropriately, from my opinion, they would onboard based on the preferences of the individual. So if I'm a boomer, I would want to have the binder and the paperwork and, you know, the high touch tactile information when I get onboarded, you know, from the office side of things. I'm not going to want to get a lot of handholding or things on the floor because technically I should have enough seasoning and an understanding potentially to understand that, okay, this is what we do. This is what I'm used to. That's also dangerous because those habits come along with me and the culture that you might have might not match my habits. So you need to understand and set those expectations very early. And you may see resistance to that from an old, from a boomer or X perspective, millennial Z, uh, less paperwork, more technology, more watch this video, figure this out. Hey, go look at the intranet and solve the problem. Here's here's the safety videos. Um, go take care of it. Show you around. Meet the people. Get to the why scenario. It's going to be different across each generation as to what the stereotypical biases might be. Um, so technically, the business should adapt to the people. Does that happen a lot in the trades? No. And that's what I have many conversations with with my clients about is how do you adapt to bring the people in to make it a place where they say, this is awesome. I want more of you to come work for. Come, 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 friends, come work with me because this is a great place because you've made me feel at home. You didn't alienate me. You didn't treat me poorly. And you provided me the opportunity to to have a conversation being instead of being told what to do. Um, and that's very different across the multiple, across the generations to do the onboarding correctly. Got it. So it sounds like onboarding again is a little bit in the same vein as basically blue collar businesses in general, that it, it varies and finding stuff that, that clicks with you is probably the most important thing that folks can take away from this if they're looking to get a job in the trades, you know, try to find a company and maybe interview that company when you talk to that company for an interview a little bit on how do you train? How do you bring people in? Tell me about your onboarding process. What does it look like? Is it is it digital? Is it is it paper? Whatever, whatever it might be. Do I just sit in the truck with Charlie and he just tells me to go get the part over there and then I watch him for six months? That might be the onboarding process. Okay, so that, again, another maybe 
I don't want to say pitfall because it, it's not the way, it's a way. And Charlie might be really right. talented. Uh, and you could probably learn a ton from Charlie because I know I'm a hands-on learner and things like that. But expecting for folks that might are wandering into this maybe and have never kind of gone to a trade before, knowing that somebody may train you is really incredible. Okay. And they may not, and they may not have the patience for the questions and those type of things, and they may get very angry at you for asking questions because you're slowing them down, which is impacting their hourly rate because they might be getting paid on book value versus straight straight hourly wage. Oh. Um, so there's lots of things to figure out in that space as well. So um, it is a it is an opportunity to learn on both sides of the equation to make life easier for everybody. Awesome. Well, Brad, that, that kind of brings us to the end here of what I've got. And I think we, you've covered some really great stuff to give people who are looking to maybe say the trades. Maybe they are right for, for a listener out there. And I really hope that if that person is listening, that they got some, some good takeaways from here. But the one thing I want to do with Brad is I want to ask you, is there anything else that you think folks should know about looking into the trades for a new career that we didn't cover in our conversation? Uh, the aspect that I'd want to point out is that in order for the trades to survive, we need to have the Gen Z kids come into this environment. It's the largest working population we have in the U.S. And if we don't find a way to invite those younger people in, um, we're going to miss opportunity. Because there are just so many millennials in the workforce that want to be in the workforce. Um, they're going to, the gig economy, all those other things. Yeah. There's a slight change in the in the behavior patterns from the millennial to the Z. And essentially, if you're a young person and want to get involved, reach out, find somebody. Yes, your parents may say, "No, college is the answer. College is the answer." Well. College in the pandemic is not all it's cut out to be. And the, the university has showed that we weren't ready for this. And the value proposition maybe doesn't match. And find a way to come out to get your life started and be ahead without the debt. Be ahead without those things. And, and do what you want to do instead of spending two years, three years in college and decide, well, no, I don't, I, I don't want to do this anymore i want to be working with my hands i want to be outside i want to challenge myself in different environments i want to travel across the country doing different things all that opportunity exists even whether you're 18 or whether you're 43 it doesn't really matter we need people in the industry that want to be there got it great well hey brad you know that this has been absolutely fantastic the one last thing that we're doing this season is i'm asking three kind of rapid fire questions to everybody at the end that are uh, i'm not going to call a lightning round or anything like that but uh, they're just little things. You can do one-word answers. You can go a little bit more in-depth if you want. But I just want to ask these three. And, again, don't be afraid to, to either keep it simple or maybe maybe go in-depth a little bit more. So the first one is, Brad, what's the number one thing you think is wrong with the way modern job searching works? Dehumanized. Fair enough. Uh, it's even in the trailer for this season of the show. You're absolutely correct. It's been dehumanized. Fantastic. Any more to that, or is it that a one word? I, I think it is that dehumanized because it comes with all the aspects with it, the automation, the AI, mm -hmm. trying to game the systems, the automatic response. It's all of that. It's dehumanized. And the beauty about the blue-collar space is they haven't completely dehumanized it yet. That's a good little tidbit there. That's a great little last uh, second-to-last nugget here probably. All right. 
What's the one thing you've seen in the modern job hunt that nobody does, but that everybody should be doing, Brad? Effectively manage their LinkedIn profile. Interesting, because it leads right into my next question. What's your number one LinkedIn tip? Reach out, make the connections, leverage your network to find other people to talk to. Excellent, 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 sir. All right, so the wrap-up, my friend. Long story short, thank you so much for coming on the show, for opening our eyes to a completely different side of the work world that we're ever used to covering here on Recruiting Hell. Uh, it, it's great, man. It really is. And it's it's the end of the show. And if folks wanted to find more out about you, about your show, and follow you on social media, where would they look, Brad? So I'm on LinkedIn underneath Brad Herta, my company page, uh, website V as in vision, F as in forward, B as in business, and then solutions.com. So vfbsolutions.com uh, is a website. There's a reach out there. Uh, and when we reach our podcast and we launch that, that will be blue-collarbs.com. And when that gets all put together, we're in the process of launching that. Those are usually the easiest ways. Email is bherda at focalpointcoaching.com as well. So there's lots of ways to find me, but the easiest is probably to connect on LinkedIn. Fair enough. Well, good deal. And by the time listeners are hearing this, I would encourage all of you if you are hearing this right now, go search Blue Collar BS on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm pretty sure you're going to find Brad, and you're going to have a good time listening to him. Brad, it's been an absolute pleasure having you down here in Recruiting Hell, my friend. Thank you so much for sitting in the hot seat today. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. As we draw this episode to a close, remember, you are worth more than your work. Your value to society is not dictated by what you do to pay your bills. Job hunting is difficult, no matter your age, gender, location, or background, and it's both acceptable and to your benefit to seek every bit of help in conquering this challenge. For more from Recruiting Hell, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player or our YouTube channel, and don't forget to leave a review of the show if your podcast platform allows it. It's tremendously helpful. Connect with Rob via LinkedIn, be sure to visit recruiting-hell.com to subscribe to our newsletter. And of course, follow the show all across social media. Just look for the orange and blue flame logo. Recruiting Hell is a production of Westport Studios and is proudly made in Wisconsin. Lastly, be sure to visit and support our sponsors. They make it possible to do this show and make it better every single week. Remember, your job hunt is a marathon, not a sprint. And Recruiting Hell will be here to help you keep pace. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, it's Rob. Are you looking for a new opportunity in an up-and-coming industry that can help you get out of recruiting hell? Coinlist, one of the fastest growing companies in the cryptocurrency space, is hiring. That's right, they not only support this show because they believe in it, but they believe that there's great talent to be found in this audience. Generous comp, great flexibility, incredible benefits, a strong culture, and a powerhouse team sound like a fit for you? Head to www.coinlist.co slash jobs and apply today. That's www.coinlist.co slash jobs. And be sure to let them know that you found them here on Recruiting Hell.